Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today, Pastor Lance and I are joined by JT and Janelle Thomas to talk about pornography and sexual wholeness. We'll talk about uh, what sexual addiction is and what it isn't. We'll talk about resources we have available at Bridgeway and in other places to aid in recovery and to aid in sexual wholeness. And we'll talk about how the church can be a safe place for men and women seeking healing. All of that and more on this episode of Engaging Well, hi, everybody. Welcome uh, to another episode of the Engaging Culture Podcast. Brian Kiley with you, as always, joined by Pastor Lance Hahn. I am right here. Here I am. I'm excited. This is an exciting podcast. Yes, it is. Because we get JT and Janelle Thomas. We get JT and yeah, Janelle Thomas I'm, I'm with this. us. JT and Janelle, hello. I'm going to say hi to both of you, and you can decide who's going to say hi first. Hello. Hi. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. All right. Got it. So... So JT and Janelle, you, the two of you have been at Bridgeway for a while. Almost 13 years. Since Jesus Almost walked the earth. Almost 13 years. And Janelle, your parents attend here? They do. Your mother teases me often on Sunday mornings <laughs> about various things, which I'm sure makes Lance happy. Yes. I love teasing Brian. But yes. yes. So Marge, is, uh, Marge, your mother, who is wonderful, is quite proficient in that. So. Yeah. They're super involved. <laughs> yes. Too. They are very, yeah. This very whole family, involved. I don't know. Very yes. involved. Yes. The uh, Thomas Durden crew is uh, forced to be recognized. And I just Sunday saw mornings. a baby Thomas uh, get baptized. Uh, Olivia? Yes. She's our middle. Middle. Yes. Well, yes. she's a smaller Thomas. She yes. is a smaller than, Thomas. Than the adult, adult Thomases yes, here. Not the smallest. Right. Yeah. She's, she's yeah. smaller. 13-year-old yeah. version. Yes, I just got to see her get baptized up at Hume Lake Camp. It was awesome. Hey, how about that? That is pretty awesome. So uh, the two of you have been involved in, in a lot of different ministry here at Bridgeway, but in particular, you have worked with men and women in the area of sexual wholeness, healing, recovery, those sorts of things. Can maybe, JT, we'll start with you. Talk about sure. the ministry that you lead, and then uh, Janelle will talk about what you lead, and then we'll get into your story, and we'll start talking about some of the different issues surrounding kind of pornography, sexual wholeness, all of that. So, so JT, tell us about uh, what it is that you do. Sure. So um, a number of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, uh, Steve Ernst, who was our men's ministry coordinator, great guy, uh, he was always looking for good content to bring to the men. And uh, I, I like to support that. I went to Forge, and then all of a sudden there was a, a Conquer series that we went through. At that time, it was five weeks and uh, very fast, kind of like fire hose of information, just a lot to take in. Hour video and an hour discussion question. Conquer is, for those who don't know. Con Conquer is, um, yeah, it's a program to lead you from sexual addiction to sexual wholeness and understand how pornography and other things just devastate the relationship between husbands and wives and just uh, Christians in the world and the, you know, the people that they're trying to, to uh, minister to and be connected to. Great. So they, so we started with, with Conquer and then where did it kind of yeah, go from there? Yeah. So uh, then that Conquer broke into 10 weeks to kind of slow it down and, and be a little better speed wise. But then it also, um, they realized 10 weeks is great, but it doesn't lead to long-term transformation. So then they went to kind of a 10 month deal, which is um, seven pillars. And it takes each concept and breaks it down and you kind of spend uh, about a month on it going through different parts of it um, so it's just not so fast and um, and then there's um, just real connection between the guys that go through it so mm -hmm. that um, they can break that isolation uh, a key component to it you know um, is to do that and so 10 weeks is a great start and a lot of right. times those groups go right into seven uh, seven pillars right Okay, so you're leading leading groups that start with this sort of 10 weeks then then go into a longer-term commitment for guys just to be yeah, in an environment where yeah. they can pursue. Because uh, it's just, yeah, you can't not... You can't not meet weekly. It's right. just one of the facets to recovery. Right. And we get right. we get a lot of great feedback yes. on all that stuff. Yes. Just wanted to point yes, that out. Yes, we do. Absolutely. And then, Janelle, uh, the ministry you lead is a little more recent in its start, if I'm not mistaken, uh, at least here at Bridgeway. Uh, talk a little bit about what it is that you, you do. Sure. So I lead a study called Betrayal and Beyond. It's for wives or women in relationships with men who struggle with sexual integrity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is uh, helping them to understand what the addiction is, what it isn't. There's a lot of misunderstanding, uh, understanding what their role is, what their role isn't mm -hmm. in that uh, recovery or um, in the relationship. 
uh, a lot of women blame themselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of men blame women because that's right. a way of, of coping with it. So it's bringing a lot of truth into that. Uh, looking at boundaries, looking at our own uh, health and and how we can grow, how God wants to help us uh, grow and heal, and then works through things like grief and forgiveness and then how to move forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have women that are whose husbands are in recovery, which mm-hmm. is great, and we have women whose husbands have left. We have women whose husbands have left years ago, and they're still kind of just carrying around, dragging that pain around with them. Mm. So it's a way for them to kind of process through the betrayal. Wow. And uh, we just finished our second group and we'll be starting a third in the fall. Wow. That's great. One of the things, let me just say right off the bat, one of the things that I think uh, I was just talking with Susie about this the other day that is so powerful about what this couple brings to the table Mm -hmm. is that historically there has always been kind of a one size fits all with, um, Hey, there's pornography out there. It's evil. Uh, don't do it. Move on. Right. And what you guys have brought to the table, and I think that newer ministries like Pure Desire and stuff like that, I think there's this healthier approach of saying, um, can we create understanding? Right. Yeah. What you guys bring in terms of bringing conversation and and nuance and a bunch of different things, just so that there's an understanding of underlying root causes, stuff like that. I think that is so powerful yep. and why I'm so proud of what they do. Yep. Yeah, no, couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the hey, just stop it, uh, <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an old Mad TV sketch where I think Bob Newhart yes, plays a psychologist. Yes, it's a great video. Right? And it's like... Stop it. Some, yeah, somebody comes in with like these problems and his advice to her is stop it. Stop just it. Stop it. And yes. so often... We're not that overt about it, but that's sort of how we approach a wide range of, of yes. challenges, not just this one. But I think you're right, Lance, that level of understanding, getting, okay, what's really going on here? Uh, that's a key component to bringing healing yeah. to relationships, bringing healing to individuals. So now I know that your interest in this ministry begins sort of with your own personal story. And we're going to get into a lot of the kind of the why behind uh, some of these various challenges and then talk about resourcing and how we can help and how how people can seek healing that, that need it. But uh, I know that the two of you w- wanted to start with just sharing a little bit of your story. So would love to kind of start with that. Maybe JT, you can sure. start and then Janelle, we can, we'll just sure. sort of go from there. Yeah. So um, I just, I, young kid, you know, uh, only child, you know, uh, kind of Kind of two different childhoods, but the first part was really good. Um, just everything everything was good. Christian parents, going to church, uh, go to church camp, accept Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior, and just, you know, uh, that was awesome. I, th- I think camp is like a little taste of heaven on earth. Amen. Um, yeah, and so that was all good. And then uh, about a year later or so, um, you know, there's I grew up in a rural area, and there was just always a, a fort or a, a place that, that kids had, and no one really checked uh, parentally, uh, you know, and so there's magazines there and everything. So I was exposed to it probably about age 11, mm-hmm. and um, there just wasn't a lot of information about the dangers of it. And what what I was really messing with is, you know, basically fire. Um, and then I uh, got hit with kind of some childhood trauma. My parents got divorced when I was 12, and I just prayed my heart out, put everything into it. Lord, you know, don't let this happen all that kind of stuff, um, and then split, parents split and just kind of shuffle back and forth. And so that was just, and then a lot of isolation. That, some of that's just from the only child part. And my personality wasn't to go seek out answers and talk to my pastor and ask my dad, you know, all this stuff. So just kind of went into myself with the isolation and, right. um, and then had this um, not really understanding of, of what I was messing with. And so it just became this way to cope with... Um, at that time, that kind of trauma, and then just from there on, uh, all different kinds of, you know, things that, that cause stress and anxiety, and and um, and it was just a, a way to cope, mm-hmm. a way to cope and get through life the best I knew without getting a lot of, you know, healthy input and information. And after the divorce, we stopped going to church, so, you know, relationships with anybody that I would talk talk to about it, that didn't happen, and so it just kind of was this perfect cycle of just really going. I was like, there's... This will, you know, I'll take it with me to my grave, and you know, that's just. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't, you know, no one's, no one's talking about it, and so I just got kind of got locked up in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then thought, you know, well, maybe when I get married, I'll meet somebody, and when I get married, this can kind of go away. And 
right. that kind of thing. But there was a there was as a, as I was a Christian, I I knew something that wasn't right, and so I had uh, kind of a the binge purge cycle, mm-hmm. which would be uh, binge would have it around for a while and access to it, and then like you know I don't want to do this. I I don't think this is honoring to myself or to the Lord, so I get rid of it and and uh, until the stresses and things would build up and. Yep. That you know the hooks were in 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 my my mind and my heart with it, and so I just couldn't get full on relief uh, from it. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of so that's kind of brings us up to where where we met. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how it kind of gets locked in, and you don't realize it's slowly working to an addiction, and it's not a switch that you can just go, no, I don't want to do this. I'll I'll right. switch it off and walk away from it. Right. It's um, yeah, and I th- it just slowly becomes this. Uh, uh, coping mechanism for this trauma mm-hmm. in a lot of cases for, yep. for, for men. Well, and like you said, you have the binge purge cycle where maybe for a little while you kind of say, okay, willpower, whatever, yeah. I'm going <clears> to, <throat> this isn't going to be part of my life anymore. And that just, uh, as, as we know now, that just doesn't work. That's not sufficient to address sort of some of the root, root issues. Yeah. Cause it doesn't do anything about yeah. the pain, which right. is a lot of times what took you there and it'll take you back there. Right. So then talk to us then about the process of, first of all, identifying what you were going through as an, as an addiction and then the process of recovery. How did that start and what did that look like? Well, the, the best thing that came out of the Conquer series was like the first night or the second night, uh, they just tell you that this is not a moral issue. Like if we could all morally just choose, we right. would. We love the Lord. That's right. our first choice. Right. And initially exposure to it, you have some of that choice for a little while. Mm-hmm. But as it grows stronger and, and it becomes a coping mechanism, you lose that. So they're saying it's not a moral issue, it's a pain issue. So mm-hmm. Conquer was like, let's look at what your pain is, what your trauma is. And so yeah. once you realize what you're dealing with and you start to deal with it as a pain issue, you go, okay, I have to express what my pain was. And I have to, and and then you also realize like, uh, you know, the world's not perfect. It's a fallen world, but um, I'm kind a little bit of an innocent bystander as far as my parents getting divorced and stuff like that. I didn't control that. There's trauma that we don't control. So you you realize, okay, I, I didn't choose this. I didn't even do this to myself. So I really feel like it's kind of unfairly, you know, in my life. I want to now I want to get rid of it even more. And so I'm mm-hmm. even more focused on, yeah, I didn't want this in the first place. And really, yeah, how do I get rid of it long term forever? And and most of us are like, well, if I have pain it doesn't sound like a good thing not to heal from it. So you're interested in healing and, right. and it just kind of, it just starts to break, um, will help you with your understanding of what you're dealing with and how to, how to address it. Whereas before you're just kind of lost and you're like, I don't know, I, yeah. you know, I can, I can, I can purge for a while, but then the binge always comes back too. Right. Janelle, let's kind of get your, your perspective on, on some of this, obviously just walking alongside JT, both in understanding what it is he was going through and then sort of your own thought process through it. And then, uh, how you've sought both to understand maybe what he was going through and then how maybe the two of you have worked together to kind of help bring healing. Sure. So when I met JT, he was, he was newly kind of following the Lord again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this topic came up as we were dating Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, is this an issue for you? And he said, no, <laughs> um, which, uh, when I discovered that it was that I think felt like the biggest betrayal because mm-hmm. I was like, I checked this off. Like mm-hmm. when things in our marriage started getting really hard, I was, I never thought that it could be this because mm-hmm. he had always been really honest with me. And so I was, I was really surprised that he had lied. Uh, looking back now, I think he was probably in a, in a purge cycle. And so he was probably like, no, this isn't an issue for me. And then of course it comes back. And, um, I think, you know, a binge purge cycle can be one day the next day, or it can be six months. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, it messes with your head a little bit of, have I really mastered this or is it just going to come back? Yeah. Um, when we got, when we got married or after we had been married for a while, uh, I think that JT didn't, didn't realize how it affected our marriage. I think a lot of men don't, Mm -hmm. uh, they go to a lot of effort to hide it, to try to appear normal, to, 
Um, control it, minimize it. Control it, yeah. minimize it, all those things. Yeah. Um, and they don't realize that it's it really changes who they are as a person and how they how they treat people. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of his pain that was coming out um, in our marriage. And I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't know how to fix that. So, you know, I was praying, asking God for answers. I'm, do we need counseling? What do we, what do we need to do? Um, spent a lot of time kind of sifting through his criticism and asking God, you know, what of this is true? This doesn't all feel like it's accurate. Uh, and it wasn't really until, uh, well, I got to a point where I just kind of stopped praying. Mm -hmm. I just was like, God, I've used all the words I've asked. I've said all the things like, I'm just kind of getting to this place where I'm just going to say, you know, maybe that maybe I'm just not, you know, a good marriage, a really happy marriage isn't promised to me. And we're just gonna, this is how marriage is going to be. It's just going to be hard. And so I kind of stopped praying. Um, and then one day on my way home from Target, uh, a song came on the radio, um, How He Loves by David Crowder. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it was like uh, God told me, um, you hear this song and you feel how much God loves you. Um, JT doesn't feel that. He does not feel loved by God. And I started crying because I was like, man, since I was the littlest uh, girl, that was just something I was convinced of, that God loved me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine what it would be like to go through life not not having that as sort of like your base foundation in life. And so uh, that that was how God told me how to pray for him. And I really just started praying that he would be able to know how much God loved him. And this was before I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then we had D-Day, Discovery Day. <laughs> um, and we won't, I won't go into Equally as violent. Um, <laughs> yes, but equal as promising. Yeah, amen. Uh, yeah, God uh, loves us too much to leave us where we're at, right? Right. We know, we know that. <clears throat> and I think he wanted to be found out, uh, because I think he was like, desperate to get out and it was kind of like well if i can't do this on my own then maybe if my wife finds out there was a scary feeling where i thought my family would be better without me around to keep hurting them Mm -hmm. and that was like whoa that's that's not what i want to feel right wow yeah okay so discovery happens and 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 this is a well I don't want to get too sidetracked in this, but I would imagine this is something that maybe you do hear a bit, that there is this sense of, for those that are struggling, that there is this sort of weird sense in which they're afraid to be found out, but they sort of want to be found out mm-hmm. too, because they almost feel like that's what's going to be necessary to kind of catalyze some change. Well, and what's weird is that I take this huge blow, so I'm like on the floor, like what is happening? Mm-hmm. And he's feeling this weight lifted because the secret that he's carried around right. for all this time is out in the open. And yeah, when, yeah. when wow. scripture says that you bring front things from the dark into the light, like seriously, that happened that day in front of my eyes, he wow. was instantly a different person. Wow. And so that gave me hope. Yeah. He's like, do you want me to leave? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't want to explain to my kids why you're leaving. Probably that was my initial. But I was also like, something's happening here. Something's mm. happening here. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And and as a married person, I've been going through this all by myself. And then one of the things that kind of brought it to was uh, I had trauma in my life as a child, and I totally turned and ran and was just angry with God and then worked my way back to that. And then uh, we lost my mom in, an, in a car accident tragically, and it was like, oh, okay, so are you going to do the same thing that you did before and just mm-hmm. run away from God and be mad? And I'm like, no, I know more now about mature faith and understanding and his plan and all that. So that kind of led to this, it's got to change and coping mechanism and so discovery. And it was it was a weight lifted because Satan tells you the lie that your wife only loves you because she doesn't know the real you. But as soon as mm-hmm. she finds out, she's gone. And I believe that, but this was going to let, you know, it's going to be like, okay, well, we'll see. We'll see now. Um, You know, uh, I hope not. I really do. I I think she's very strong. That's 
one of the things that attracted me to her, but I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's probably something that scares a lot of, a lot of, I say men, but I know that both men and women struggle with, with this, this stuff. But I think that's something that probably scares a lot of married people to say, well, if my spouse finds out, then it's. Well, there is a risk. I mean, we started the conversation you were mentioning in your women's group. There's women that left and women that, you know, and so, yeah, that is a very real, very real danger. Yeah. So then, so discovery happens. There's pain. There's, there's all these, I mean, I can only imagine extremely complex emotions, but then it's from there. It's like, okay, everything's out. So now some healing can begin. Is that, well, let let me, let me caution you. Everything being out um, just cause I know people are listening and there's people sure. that may be convicted that they yeah. need to go and confess this, uh-huh. um, be very careful. Yeah. Uh, we, we were in counseling at the time. And so gratefully we had a counseling appointment the next day. We could sit down with our counselor and just mm-hmm. sort of say, this is what happened in the last 24 hours. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, and so his disclosure to me of what exactly we were dealing with happened, uh, with that guidance and support, mm-hmm. really important because there, uh, if a husband, for example, decides he's ready to tell, and mm-hmm. then he feels like, well, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna tell them all. I'm mm-hmm. gonna tell them, you know, every website, every street, every name, every yeah. everything. Um, then you have this wife who now has all these triggers right. and has all this trauma that now she has to work through. So. Yeah. There's a, it needs to be guided. There needs to be honesty, but it also needs to be uh, carefully done. So not necessarily the first step. Well, right. the other really the other wise. challenge is that if somebody is ready to let it all go, they're going to see uh, the trauma on the other person, and it's going to hijack what they thought was going to happen in their head, and right. they just they just shut down. Then all of a sudden, you go, wait. I thought I knew it all. You lied to me. I found out more later. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. now the betrayal keeps happening because you're still a liar. You never really told me everything. Yeah. And then the person doesn't want to go, hey, can you crush me today and a little bit every day? Yeah. That would be yeah. awesome. Yeah. So they keep asking mm-hmm. for more information when they do not need right. all that information. So we've learned to say things like, do I know everything that I need to know? Like, do I need mm. to go get an STD test? Do I yeah. need to, right. are there people that yeah. are involved in this that yes. I need to know about? Um, you know, some yeah. of those kind of questions, are there financial implications yes. to this? Mm. Are we, you know, have we spent, have you spent a right. lot of money on this that I don't know about? Yep. Yeah. Um, those kinds of things are important to know, but details of things, no. But yeah. that, that kind of cool head that you're talking about from right now That's why a counselor is so helpful right? because they're pulled out of the emotions and they're like, hey, there actually are some, there's an order that we might need to know some things. We we have some immediate questions we need to answer, Mm -hmm. but as we're navigating through this trauma, there might be a better way to do it. Right. And like you said, somebody with a little bit of emotional distance and, yes. and frankly, probably some experience with right. guiding others through yes. this, these sorts of, they, they can sort of help with the, okay, what do we really need to know? Right. What's going to be helpful? What's not? And there, there is a, uh, there is a complexity to this that we ignore at our peril. I would yes. assume. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit more generally about the issues in play here, and we can certainly integrate more of your story in that because uh, we hear about this stuff all the, t- all the time. And it, it, But at the same time, it's challenging. How do you talk about this in the church context in a way that can actually be helpful? How do we uh, help people in, in an age where, I mean, it's almost cliche to say it, but really is true. Like, I mean, I had to work really hard if I wanted to like find something inappropriate when I was a teenager. Whereas now, I mean, right. I'm just like, praise the Lord, I'm not a teenager in 2019, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, how prevalent is <laughs> sexual addiction in our society today? Because I think that a big reason why people are has, I mean, there are many reasons why people are hesitant to confess, people are hesitant to seek help. But I do think one of them is that people think, oh, well, I, you know, certainly in church, I, I'm the only one and people, you know, other people aren't doing this and they're going to think I'm this, that, and the other thing. But that's really not true. The statistics tell a very different story, right? I mean, what are some, how prevalent is this in, in your own experience and maybe statistics you've seen? 
uh, I about seven out of ten Christian men struggle with this, mm-hmm. um, and we're getting numbers of about thirty percent of women. I don't know if that's distinction between the whole population. Yeah, or- I don't. I don't. I think the statistics for women are still pretty new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're still, I mean, that's a brand new thing that we're finally sort of paying attention to is how many yeah. women are getting sucked into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really common among yeah. Christian men. Yeah. But which, it's, it's it'd be, yeah, very common, like you said. And I think that's what, that's the important thing that I think it needs to be, get out there so that people know, okay, you're not the only one. Sorry, I cut you off. No, you that's okay. Cut me off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean... Uh, when I read that, so after discovery, I was like, I got to know what I'm dealing with. So I think I sat down and read every man's battle in like a day (laughs) and, and wanted to, wanted to understand what, what I was fighting. And when it said, when I I saw that the statistics were that high, I was like, I can't, like I would go to church on Sunday and I would look around during Mm -hmm. worship and Mm -hmm. I would be like seven out of every 10 guys. Yeah sitting around me in church mm-hmm. right now are struggling with this. Yep. And I knew what it was doing to him mm-hmm. and what it was doing to our family. And I was like, God, this is not okay. Yeah. This is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, another idea is that, um, I would, I would estimate that. So you don't always have this conversation with all of your friends. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Hey dude. So how's mm-hmm. your, uh, porn addiction? Right. You all right there? Yeah. But I would say out of all the men that I, in my life that I've talked to that happened to this subject comes up, mm-hmm. I have met four that don't struggle mm-hmm. in my entire life. Yeah. So, um, and then if you talk about statistics, uh, where, uh, they interview pastors, mm-hmm. pastors are 78%. Yeah. Right. So they're higher. they're higher than the normal. Yeah. And, um, and that's, the ones being honest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, because yeah. for pastors, there's a whole okay. different level yeah. of, you don't get to just go join a group. You don't get to do all those things. Right. That's not actually not how it works. Right. The risks are higher. The risks yeah. are higher. Yeah. So no. once again, the prevalence, I'm just telling you that just as a dude, and I meet a lot of people yeah. because I, I mean, I know thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, and I've met four. Right. Right. And it's not, like you said, not something you talk about with every single no. person. No. But... Uh, you're right. Yeah. Just that those would say it is not a temptation. It's not yes. a struggle. And I'll just, I'll just be honest about my own thing. Like it's, it's not a big struggle for me in the sense that like, I don't like people can go look at my web history and they're not going right. to, you know, they're going to see, I find too much time, spend too much time on ESPN, but that's, <laughs> right. you know, that like, we wow, that. he, that, that's actually know, that's, why we're here today. Yeah, I'm pretty honest about that. But here's the, like, I've even, I remember, I remember I was in like an accountability relationship with a guy who like, that was one of the things he wanted me to ask him about. Cause he really struggled with. And I remember he asked me the question. He's like, man, how do you just get so you don't think about it? And I said, bro, it, it has been years since this has been an issue for me. I think about it every day. I think about like even today, like I, you know, times when I'm in a computer by myself, I'm up early in the morning or I'm up late at night. I was, I think about it as a possibility every single day. So I think even for those who I would say it is not really a struggle for me in the sense that I'm not acting out just to know it's like, it's there. The thought of, Oh, Hey, I could go look at something on the internet. No one would know. I think about it constantly. Yep. So I think for us all just to be aware that, Hey, none of us are like, Oh, Hey, that's not a struggle at all. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why it was called Every Man's Battle. Right. right. Not some guy's battle. <laughs> yeah, right. not some It wasn't battle. like seven out of yeah. ten men's battle. Yeah. <laughs> Two so, guys battle. Yeah. So so one thing I want to talk about, yeah. One one thing I want to make sure we get out there is, is there are a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings when it comes to pornography addiction, sexual addiction, et cetera. Uh, what is sexual addiction and then what is it not? What do we need to understand and, and make sure we're, we're clear on in terms of definitions here? Well, I think if you think about what do you think of with addiction, say with uh, a substance abuse problem, it's a lot of the same stuff. It's usually mm-hmm. rooted in pain. It's it's a way to cope escape. with things in life that you can't, that you're not dealing with to escape from things. Yeah. You use it and it it makes you feel better for a short time. You have a dopamine release or whatever. Right. Uh, but you need more. Mm-hmm. You develop a dependence on it. You can't give it up. Uh, you want to stop, but you can't. Yeah. Uh, you start isolating yourself. You maybe are in denial. I can stop whenever I want. This isn't a big deal. This isn't hurting anybody. Um, and you stop, and you and you can't really see how it's affecting you, how it's changing you, or how it's affecting other people around you. So uh, 
for us, our experiences, sexual addiction did all of that mm-hmm. um, for us. Yeah. yeah. JT, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's just if if if, if you're using it to cope with life uh, mm. struggles, trials, pain, anxiety, that's not how God intended it to be used, right? It's right. it's a it's a part of the relationship between a husband and wife that should reflect healthiness of all the rest of the relationship, and it should be a celebration. And it sh- and there's there's those reasons that it should be, but it's imbalance. It's not it's not used to cope with with the stresses of life. Right, um, right. Janelle, I want to ask for from the spouse perspective, how does understanding this as an addiction help? Because I've talked to guys who just even as they've processed it with their own their own wives, saying that on some there's there's tons of pain involved and the emotions are very complicated and I recognize that. But there's a shift that happens at least from what I've been told. When you think of it as this is just some selfish dumb thing my my husband does. Mhm. And instead, of start thinking about it as an addiction. How does that affect the way that that you approach it, and in, in terms of just the way that you process it as the spouse, if at all? Maybe it doesn't affect it. It was huge. It yeah. was huge for me. Uh, I think when I realized, you know, when when JT shared with me how this started, uh, that made a big difference mm-hmm. for me, because this wasn't like I was married to you and you weren't enough for me, yeah. and so I went elsewhere. Uh, which is what I think a lot of people think that that's how this addiction starts. Yeah. Uh, for for a lot of men, and I would say more and more now that we have the wonderful availability of smartphones, uh, access early access to this early exposure to this is such a huge factor. So for me, when I was tempted to feel really angry and furious and unforgiving, uh, and and other women have said this too. I didn't look at JT as the 40-something-year-old guy who was choosing to act out um, and knowing that it would hurt me. I thought of him as the 11-year-old boy mm-hmm. who was exposed to this when he, when his brain wasn't even prepared to say, stop, this is bad, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, what we know now about brain function and how right, all right. of this yeah. stuff happens, you look at it and you go, wow, it's... It really is almost impossible once you're once you're hooked on it, the the chemistry in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I really that that was really helpful for me to develop empathy mm-hmm. for why he was where he was. Um, and to also realize like like when when I first found out, I was like, all right, you've confessed. We're done. This is not happening anymore. It's not allowed in my house. We're done. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't understand the complexity of how he got there yeah. and the mm-hmm. complexity of how what it would take to get out. Yeah. And so when I started to understand that, uh, it was like, OK, I'm I'm going to trust. We're just going to keep we're going to keep moving in the right direction and we're going to yeah. get there. And he wow. he was like fierce about it. Mm-hmm. So um, that made it a lot easier for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, and what amazing strength on your part to be willing to do the work to understand. I mean, because that's I, that could not have been easy for you, for you to do. Um, but especially to, when you're mad, I don't want to research <laughs> something for somebody that I'm mad at. Forget build, that. I don't build empathy for Just you. Just say this is your own stinking problem, man. Go yeah. solve it. That's yeah. not really a thing, though. Well, and I honestly, I was like, this is your problem. Mm-hmm. Like sure. I. Um, some people are really inclined to codependency. I'm really inclined <laughs> not to codependency. That's not a struggle for you. <laughs> so, you know, I have That's women funny. that are like, I'm constantly checking his phone. I, I go yes. through all of the mail. I, right. I follow him everywhere. I do all these things. I, you know, whatever. I'm like, I don't, I ain't nobody got time for that. I got three <laughs> kids I got to raise. Like, and, and some of that was, he really took responsibility for his yeah. recovery yeah. Uh, yeah. immediately was like, this is on me. Um, but, but yeah, it was, he was really fierce about it. And so that, that allowed me to to do that. I think when she got the understanding that I really, if there was a way I could have avoided this and not had the childhood trauma and the early exposure, sign me up. You know, that's what I would have chosen. (laughs) That would have been awesome. You know, that's, that's what I would have first and not bring this into our marriage and not hurt you with this. Right. That's what I, you know, but, but I, I didn't do that. I couldn't do that. And I think it. It made it, it, there's just something that clicks of like, oh, you didn't really want this. 
Like yeah. this, you didn't go seeking this out. You didn't ever think this was a solution to make you a better person, Christian husband, father. It, it yeah. happened to you, and that really helped. Yeah, can, can I transition on Please. something real yeah. quick? Um, so for for everyone listening, we're talking about <laughs> JT and Janelle's uh, unique situation. There are a variety of reasons why people engage in pornography. And the story that we're telling right now is one of the key mm-hmm. stories, yep. but it's not everybody's story. Yep. And so um, let me just let me just highlight out, as I was sitting down and preparing for this podcast, I wrote down eight reasons about um, why uh, some people, and once again, um, uh, pornography addiction is a possibility for anyone that is visually sexually stimulated. Yep. That means it can be women. Yes. Right? It's just whoever that is a thing for, but traditionally men are visually stimulated more than women are, so it tends to be a male-dominated problem. But once again, anybody that has a visual stimulation key to themselves and their sexuality may well struggle with this. All right. Having said that, so here's eight reasons, uh, um, and they're not in any particular order, okay? So uh, number one, uh, self-soothing. That is numbing from pain, exhaustion, depression, anxiety, stress, disappointment, or hurt. Now, that is going to likely be what we've been talking about the entire time here, right? right? So it is a coping mechanism. The second one is feeling better. So recently, uh, in one of our podcasts, we were talking with a gentleman about addiction to drugs. And he was explaining that one of the challenges with drugs is that you know you can feel better than you do right now. Whether or not you have a current wound, you can feel better. So for a lot of the reasons why people have caffeine in the morning, you don't have to have caffeine to go. But you know that you can feel better than you do right now, and you may well be able to do something better that day. So um, that is an attraction to it. Uh, Number three is simply the sexual attraction element when you like the feeling of sexual stimuli. Now, this is where we tend to put it into the sin category where you go, no, 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 you just opt to wanting to do something that just is sexually interesting to you. Okay, that is another category. Number four is loneliness and rejection. That's when feeling no connection to women and or if it's a woman towards men, some seek it through online Now, this will tend to lead to uh, real-life connections, whether it's through cam connections where people are really – if it's truly a loneliness issue, just the visuals aren't enough. They push forward and forward and forward into I need a person and I'm willing to pay them for it. That's where you start to see a lot of the things where it gets into real-life activity. Uh, Number five is boredom. It yes. is the most interesting thing to do. So you think about college dudes bored out of their mind, and it's like, I can watch ESPN, but there's nothing on. You know what? The most interesting thing I could probably do right now is probably watch porn. Mm-hmm. So boredom is a factor. Uh, number six is spiritual warfare. That is, if you feel like you're filled up and healthy in every other area and it's still coming and getting you, sometimes it's just flat out the enemy's just going to wreck you, <laughs> right? Like you've done all the work and everything else and, you know, okay, that's a problem. Um, and then number seven is combating a lack of sexual fulfillment. So men are on a two to four day cycle uh, as far as craving sex. So the, the standard dude. And so if there's no outlet, they solve it by masturbation or they solve it through pornography, things like that. And that is it. Uh, once again, I'll get into this definition. One of my favorite definitions of sin ever is trying to meet a legitimate need by illegitimate means. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. right. So you go, okay, well there's a, there's a craving. It's not always a need. It's a craving. So just like our stomachs get hungry and we have hunger pangs, they're actually self-created. You create your own alarms in your body. So it's going, dude, you are super hungry. Now, whether you are or you aren't, you feel that and you want to stop that feeling, right? Um, And then the last one, number eight, is what we talked about as well, is addiction. They simply are involved in it because they don't know how not to be. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to clarify that while we're talking about all the, that you'll go, oh, so it must be, once I found out about him, I'm going to find out he has trauma pain. You're like, well, let's say he doesn't. Now what are you going to do? 
Yeah. You don't realize there's seven other options on this list. And this is obviously a sampling. This is just me sitting down and writing out a list. There's a bunch more than that. Right. Yeah. But I think it's important to recognize, I mean, if we're going to talk about the church being an environment of healing, if yeah. we're going to talk about a, a conquer group, a, a pure desire group, a betrayal and beyond group being a place of healing, you have to recognize the complexity of of not only the issues in play, but also how did we get here? Because we didn't all get here on the same path, right? right. There's a right. there's a variety. Well, of and the ways. complexity you can tell. Some of those need to be held accountable. Some of those need to be healed. Some of those need to, be, you know what I mean? Like your responses to the different pieces of it, and even someone like JT who has had trauma in his past, um, he may have a sufficient level of healing, but then also struggle with some of the other pieces of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, okay, yeah, you're right. I did get enough healing to not, but I still have a longing. Yeah. Or, oh, I, now I'm in the addiction cycle. So once again, it's just not as easy yeah. as we assume. Well, one, of, uh, one of those that, number two, feeling better could yeah. maybe apply to. And and I think this is one that's that could be a big one. Even So if you did have Christian parents, but... Um, they talk about a like over overly rigid home structure where right. it's about perfection and performance, and yes. it's not so much about relationship and understanding. Yes, yeah. that that can drive um, you know this to be a problem. It as will well. almost always drive a secret life. Yeah, oh, any yeah. high performance or perfectionist environment, because human beings can't inv- can't live in that environment. They have right. to go underground. Right. And so almost always that's what's going to happen. That's one of my big reasons why I can't stand legalistic environments yeah. in churches because everyone's still doing it. It's just not being acknowledged. Right. So it's all underground. Yeah, especially the people talking about it the most. Usually the yes. most legalistic people in leadership Are usually have something going on. And yeah. it's some sort of... For sure. Anyway, we don't need to get into that. But <laughs> but JT, what you just said a moment ago brings me to the to the next thing I really wanted to talk about is, is you guys gave us some really interesting stuff to read in preparation for this episode about shame and the role of shame in sexual wholeness and, and, and all of that. Can you talk to us a little bit? Let's first of all just start with the issue itself. What, talk about the role of shame in uh, in these types of issues. I, I might not have the complete perfect definition of shame, but from my understanding of going through this is shame is like um, – a, a character flaw that can never be fixed. It's like you're damaged beyond repair. Guilt and remorse and sorrow, those those are all feelings that we should look at and be motivated to to bring about change and repentance. But in the Conquer series, they talk about um, guilt. Guilt is like you're playing you're playing football and, and you stepped you stepped out of bounds where you could have went further if you hadn't done that. But um, shame is like you're never going to get on the in the end zone ever because right. it's just not in what you can do and and it's not over you can't overcome it um and so i i feel like guilt is something we can deal with and like i said uh, sorrow and remorse and regret um but from from what i've studied just just from going through it is like shame is like insurmountable and that you can't overcome now um we can we 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 can and, and god uh, can heal us from that. And so, um, but it's just, uh, unfortunately, I think that the shame factor is the number one uh, uh, strategy that Satan uses to yeah. just um, keep us from talking about it, being open and honest in our deepest connected relationships. And I, and it just it, it makes the isolation just uh, crazy powerful. Yeah. And when we're in that place of, of shame, kind of to, what you alluded to, we feel like this is all I'm ever going to be and there's no hope for me to get better. And then one of the articles you sent us from Covenant Eyes said that when we feel terrible about who we are, we pursue behaviors that provide irrefutable evidence that we are unwanted. And, and that to me is, I mean, that's, that is shame and its effects right there. Right. Jenna, what are your thoughts on this? I think that shame is how the enemy attacks our identity. Yeah. He starts to tell us who we are yeah. instead of this being about I made a mistake or I did some, I'm doing something I don't want to do anymore. I want to change. It's um, this is who you are. Yeah. And so when you think that that's who you are, you think I have to hide this. And 
when you hide it, then you then the enemy convinces you that if anyone knew, they would reject you. Yeah. And so it perpetuates the hiding, which means you're not getting support. You're not mm-hmm. get, all the things that help you change. You're cutting yourself off from because yeah. of the shame. Yeah. So shame starts in a bad place, and it takes you. <laughs> Obviously, to a worse one because yeah. it isolates you. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I had all these thoughts, and Janelle just said them all perfectly. <laughs> said them all. They were pretty awesome. Does that mean you'll be quiet uh, now? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> he'll have more thoughts. When has that ever happened, Miss Janelle? Yeah. Welcome, welcome to but, my world. But, yes, but so shame is such. I mean, it's such a big deal, and I'm guessing on some level, by the time somebody takes the step of signing up to be a part of a, of a group that's going to help them get whole. Like on some level, they've taken a step out of shame a little bit. So the unfortunate reality is yeah. when somebody's really in the clutches of shame, they're not even going to engage no. with, with, with what kind of you all offer or similar type programs. But, but I just want to ask, how have you, how have you, or, or how have you seen others maybe help other people work through these feelings of shame to kind of bring them to a place of of hope? Because to me, that seems like a critical component of any sort of healing from just about any hang-up, let alone this one. Yeah, uh, you've dealt a lot more with, with guys who are, who are just, you know— they're so a lot of times they're so shame. so ready that when somebody starts talking openly about it and without shame, but with mm-hmm. conviction and hope and yeah. healing, uh, they've been waiting for that. I was waiting for that for a long time, and then I vowed once I had answers, I would just keep telling people what they were. Yeah, and so I mean that leads us to today. But uh, when I've shared, it's just like you don't have to stay where you're at, right. and so they're like, okay, well, so how, how do I how do I get out of there and we talk about, um, you know, breaking the denial structures. So you've got to come to group and be in community. You were hurt probably in community. You're going to heal in community. Yep. It's a weekly deal. It um, Sometimes you want to go to group. Sometimes you don't. But most time afterwards, everybody's like, oh, I feel good. After, you know, I didn't want to come. I didn't want to drive here. Like going to church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. <laughs> uh, and, and then uh, we have a crazy thing where a lot of groups have attrition. We have our groups get bigger after they start because – it, it guys are, they need connection, right? We're, we're, yeah. they're human, but our society doesn't say that that's an important need, but they start to realize it. They get, um, some traction on some, uh, um, some sobriety. They realize yeah. they can do it and they start to heal from some pain. They realize they're not just an immoral person that they, they start to understand all the nuances of addiction yeah. and it, and it just, you start to break away all the supports for the addiction and um, like for me, I realized, wait, I've healed from some of this pain. I don't need the self-soothing. I don't need what was, a, you know, I don't need what's not good for me. I, I can actually, one part of it is sitting in the pain and realizing, actually, I can, am strong enough with the Lord to do this now and to, to just, let's do this. Let's heal. Let's have the real pain, feel it, not numb it, not, you know, um, have a, um, a Band-Aid for it, but let's take it in. And give it to the Lord. Like I never understood that, but giving it to the Lord, I think, is when you, when you're like, I'm in it. This does not feel good, and you're telling the Lord that, and you're and you're just being honest with yourself, and you're not in denial. Um, guys, and and guys just give testimonies every week of where they're at, and and relapse is a part of it. Sometimes yeah. it's you know we're there to catch them on the relapse part, and and remind them you didn't go all the way back to square one. You just you just had a small relapse. You've yeah. you've still learned and grown all the way to what got you here. Now, but learn from the relapse. Yeah. And there's a ton of learning that happens because they, they don't feel good about it, so they want to understand what was it this time. And ho- hopefully they get uh, fewer relapses further down the road, and they, it's just uh, once they have hope, right? right. <laughs> it's like the Lord, right. Is, the Lord is doing a work in me. They start to believe that, and they start to believe that their mind can really be renewed. Yeah. Um, and once they have belief and they know that um, they've got guys on their side and they're not alone— it just and God God shows up right yeah. every week He shows up. Yeah, wow! You get out of the shame spiral, all of a sudden, all sorts of great possibilities are on the table, right. and so and that obviously it happens in in community and to keep people out of the shame spiral in the case of relapse to know that okay a relapse is not a reason for shame. Okay, let's talk about it. What happened? But like this is not a shaming no. environment. I mean that's huge. So then this is the question that is that is such a drag to ask as a Christian, as a pastor, as a person who works in a church, as a person yeah. who's addressed this in different ways, uh, probably poorly in some 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 environments. What are some ways that the church 
inadvertently, or even just Christians in general, inadvertently <clears throat> contribute to kind of this the shame around these types of issues? Uh, okay, so I think the the biggest one that we agreed on is that we don't talk about it. Yeah, we don't talk about it at all, mm-hmm. and as a result, uh, I think people who are struggling they kind of come to one of three conclusions, which is this is too shameful to talk about it. It's so bad that the church won't even talk about it. Or this isn't a big deal. This isn't a big problem. It's not It's not important enough to address. Mm-hmm. Or that, um, that God doesn't have an answer for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think all of those things send the message that uh, – if the church won't talk about it, then I'm, I shouldn't talk about it. It's not safe. Yeah. Right. It's not safe. How could it be safe if we don't talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think another one is that a lot of times the church feels, and and this holds true in a lot of controversial cultural things. um, The church really feels like it's important to make sure people understand this is a sin. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know (laughs) that it's a sin. (laughs) And that doesn't mean they have the power to change or that they know what to do. And so a lot of times the church, um, and I'm saying sort of church big C, Christian community, um, you know, I spend time on Facebook just looking and seeing how people respond to articles published by Pure Desire or Covenant Eyes or any of these groups that are endeavoring to help people in addiction. And inevitably you have this slew of, you know, well-intentioned Christians who will kind of go off and share all the Bible verses about why this is bad and how it's ruining the world and why we should get rid of it. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how that helps somebody that's stuck in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, No one's really disputing that. No one's saying, hey, this is actually a good thing. And what's the big deal, right? We don't need to be um, reminded that it's bad. Outside of the church. Sure. Outside of the church. Yes. We see that. Yeah. Within the church. Some inside of the church. But, but I think for a lot of men who get to the place where they're reading an article about it, yeah. it's usually like, I'm looking for help. Yeah. I don't need somebody to kind of rail me with all the Bible verses about right. why, you know, this is lust or this is adultery or that sort of yeah. thing. I mean, at that point, I would assume it's it's more a matter of, okay, let's talk tools here. How do I, all right, right. like I get it. How do I take some steps forward here? Uh, and even... Um, Something, something from another one of the articles that you that you sent us. I think the article was actually called "Shame Preaching." Was how <laughs> sorry we talked about how no, it was it was it was really helpful. It was it talked about how and man, this is this is broadly applicable once again. How we give the motive but not the means, the target without the tools. We provide a clear purpose but without an applicable plan. We leave people feeling more trapped than ever before. They walk away from our sermons motivated to change with a deep understanding of why they should, but nothing in them is actually changed. Their brain is still stuck in the same ingrained rut. Uh, Their way of doing life, medicating pain through temporary highs, remained unchanged. Only now, when they act out, the shame is deeper than ever. Right. Holy cow. Yeah. I think that is... I think that was his experience for yeah. a long time in the church, where you bring it up, you talk about it, you even say... You need to repent. We need to pray for it. You include it in your examples of sins that people are struggling with, but there's no, there's what comes after that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That the res. I mean, and, and once again, broadly applicable, the resourcing, we can all get together on a Sunday morning and have a great emotional experience and all of that. But if, if we're not resourced to take the incremental steps that, that need to be taken, the, the fruit of that is going to be limited, right? And I'd imagine that's, well, that's what we see with, with this issue in particular all too often, right? Yeah. So what in general, I mean, you've talked about how, okay, we need to talk about it more and all of that. Um, what are some ways we can address this issue in a way that reduces shame, promotes healing? And then I want to talk about resourcing a little bit. Like what resources are available for those who would say, okay, I get it. This is a challenge and I need some help. Where, where do I go? So let's, let's start with how can we talk about it better in a healing, promoting, shame reducing sort of way. I think one of the big things we've already mentioned it is acknowledge the complexities of it. 
Don't try to give right. simple answers like, well, you just need to trust Jesus more or yeah. you just need to stop looking at it or things like that. Educate people that it's it's a mostly a lot of times it's a it's a pain issue, not yeah. a moral issue. If yeah. if everybody could just, you know, flip the switch to, uh, you know, integrity, moral integrity, sexual wholeness for, you know, 100 percent of the time, they would do that. Right. Right. I think that's huge, by the way, because I think that's a, that's a big reason yeah, why we try to say, oh, well, it's just, be- yeah, you make it a moral issue. It, it's totally, you're, you're completely removed from the real root causes and, and it, it only creates an environment of, of shame and elitism and legalism. It's just, it's not good. Yeah. Moralism leads to judgment because you're trying to say, well, this is right. what you're doing is bad. Right. Um, I think when you look at it as a pain issue, then hopefully as Christ followers, we go, how do I help you in your pain? How do I right. walk with you through that? What what can I do to bring healing to you? Right. Um, when, when this happened, uh, I called my best friend mm-hmm. and I was, um, the, the best thing was that, um, you know, she could have said, well, he sucks. You know, I mean, she could have, right, total she could have just been yeah. like, yeah. get out, kick him out, you know, yeah. kick him to the curb. Yeah. Instead, um, she just, I, I, if like over and over again, she said, we love him. We love him. We see God's identity in him. We see who God made Amen. him to be. Mm-hmm. We believe that God is, is, you know, going to work through this. And so the fact that I could confide in a friend and not fear that yeah. they were going to judge him, yeah. um, that was my biggest reservation in talking about this today is that I don't mm-hmm. want for people to think that my husband is immoral. Mm-hmm. I want my people to understand, or I want people to understand that he's an amazing person, an mm-hmm. amazing creation Amen. of God yeah. who got stuck in something and that by God's power and grace and mercy, he's been able to walk out of that, to yeah. fight his way out of that. And that um, that's what we need to do. We need to come along inside and say, how do I help you fight this? Yeah. How do I stick with you through this? And it's a roller coaster, but it's amazing. I mean, we have the opportunity to be in groups with people who are a mess and we get to walk with them through that. And we yeah. see them on the very first day when they're literally like cussing at, I mean, for me, that's my experience. These women come yeah. in and they're like, you yeah. know, they're mad. mad, they're, they're mad. mad and they're frustrated and they're hurt and everything. And at the end they're, they're talking about how do I forgive? You know, yeah. how do I, how do I, how do I let go of this anger? How do I move on? So, um, being willing to, to step into the mess and walk with people. I mean, isn't that how God always so heals good. us? Yeah. It's always in that's community. That's a Jesus style. It's yeah. always in community. Yeah, man, that's powerful. Now, in terms of, of resources, even just here at Bridgeway. So we're coming up, what month are we in? We're in July as we're recording here. We're coming up on the fall. We're going to have some some environments available for, for people who want to get involved. And we've even got, I mean, we've got email addresses where people can even reach out to the two of you uh, to just to get information or to learn about resources and all of that. Uh, maybe just talk about kind of, well, Janelle, we'll start with you in terms of what's available for women. And then JT, will talk what, what's available for men. So for those who say, hey, I, I want to get some help here. What do we have available for, for people? So uh, for for wives right mm-hmm. now or girlfriends, we have a group called Betrayal and Beyond. We will be launching a group in the fall. Mm-hmm. It will be included in the women's studies. So if mm-hmm. you're looking for it, you can sign up for it through that. But you can also email me and I am happy to meet with you in advance of that or connect you with somebody mm-hmm. so that you don't have to wait because yeah. sometimes two months feels like an and eternity. What's that email address? Right. What's yeah what? that email address is B and B at bridgewaychristian.org. So B A N D B at bridgewaychristian.org. Got it. Okay. And then JT, talk about your, your group a little bit. Yeah. So uh, we're, you know, the fall launch, uh, we will do uh, the 10 week conquer series and, mm-hmm. and that can, you know, whatever size room we need, we can uh, accommodate that many guys. And mm-hmm. that's uh, 10 weeks intensive understanding, but a lot can happen in that 10 weeks. So it's a, it's a, you, you break a lot of, you break all the isolation and you get connected and stuff. And so that's kind of a, a big kickoff. But if there's guys that have been through, conquer then there'll be some seven pillar groups which are are longer in in 
in time commitment. But um, and and so uh, just to remind guys, like a lot of times they're like, oh, this is a lot of work or whatever, and then we realize, wait, this is actually kind of what we're just supposed to be doing as Christians: meeting yeah. weekly for for support and accountability and real connection. And then we're like, okay, so it's not a lot of work. It's just <laughs> it, it's just what we need to do, and it's healthy yeah, it's a and healthier good. rhythm. It's discipleship, yeah, really. Yeah, is what yeah. It is. And um, and so then that changes things. And it'd be, they, they actually talk about it as a lifestyle, yeah. a lifestyle of connection and accountability to other Christians. And you get what Jesus wanted us to get from the church, which is the joy of, of having people with us go through the highs and the lows and not feeling alone and not, and being strong, putting on the armor of God and being strong. So, yeah. so 10 weeks conquer, um, and then more of a 10 month, uh, to 11 month, uh, seven pillars. Yeah. And then I have a, a um, email address also, that is um, pure yeah. desire um, at bridgewaychristian.org. Bridgeway yeah. Bridgewaychristian.org, bridgeway.church, they both work. But okay. B&B for, for ladies, uh, pure desire for men, both of those are available. I will also say really quick, um, we don't have anything right now at Bridgeway, mm-hmm. but there is a, a group for women who struggle with pornography addiction, a local mm-hmm. one. So you can email me at that B&B address and I'll put you in touch uh, with that resource as well. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Now, last thing I want to I, I want to talk about is is something that that I think Janelle you shared with me over email is just the, the desire to is we're having this conversation just to honor the courage of those that you've seen mm-hmm. kind of take the step of okay, I want to I want to get out of the shame spiral. I want to get out of this. I want to I want to find some, some healing here. And, and you just, you use that language of wanting to honor their courage. And I just wondered if maybe the two of you could talk a little bit about how have you seen God work in and through people who have had the courage to take, take some concrete steps towards healing? Uh, for me, it's, I've been in a number of groups. It's just, uh, it, you're seeing the power of Jesus to change people's lives uh, in a similar way that he's transformed mine, uh, to have real freedom yeah. from, like, if you've never been addicted to something, you don't understand. And so, that you know, but they say just being an American, we're addicted to three, at least three things. I, I would think caffeine could be one. I would think food could be one. <laughs> so you, you could get a little picture of it from those. But um, you see men that have hope and um, and are, are recovering. And so it's just, um, it's, it's awe-inspiring. It reminds you that God is real. God is working, and um, and then just like how countercultural it is to to show up and do hard work all uh, every week and be honest. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, it's just um, you just see God God there, and um, it it gives me hope for those men. Uh, some are single, and we're just like, wow, this is awesome. You don't even want to bring this into your marriage. You want to get re- recovered before. Yeah. And then m- many are mostly are married, and it's just like, you know, you're trying to keep together, you know, the family that God created and not let Satan break it apart and um, and then have fallout with the kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just, it's powerful. It feels like frontline stuff, yeah. um, and it's just like, yeah, Sometimes it's hard to, to meet every week, but I'm, I'm like, when we see what's happening, it's it's not. It's just, yeah. it's real stuff. Yeah, real that's good. powerful. Janelle, how about you? Uh, I, I think I would want to celebrate the courage of women who had every excuse to leave, every biblical reasons, cultural reasons, every reason to walk yeah. away and who've stayed um, because they were, they trusted that God would defend them, that God would look out for them, that he would care for them. And that doesn't mean that you're supposed to stay in every situation. There are situations where the healthiest boundary is to is to separate, mm-hmm. but um, but not give up. You know, yeah. they haven't given up. And and even if even if their relationship is gone, even if they have no hope of or very little hope, I should say, of seeing mm-hmm. that relationship restored, they're still seeking to honor God as they process through the pain and they process through their betrayal and they really don't want to allow the enemy to get any kind of foothold from this. And so they're willing to look at themselves. They're willing to look um, at God's word. They're willing to hold on to promises. They're willing to fight, to forgive. Um, and then the the best ones are the ones who are like, how do I help other women? You know, yeah. how do I jump in and lead a group? And I know, I know we've had that with the guys too, where um, 
it's it's like um, I remember JT saying at some point, um, I'm going to lead this group because I I told God when I was in this, if I ever find a way out, I will tell everyone that I can. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was like, that's great, honey. You, you do that. <laughs> um, and then there was a time where God was like, no, I'm, I'm going to need you. This is your story too. And I need for you to tell it. And so, um, whenever somebody's willing to tell their story, to take that risk, um, I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lance, any, uh, any final thoughts from you here as we begin to bring this to a close? No, I just think that, uh, I, I think that the tide is very much turned. Like for example, we just got back from Hume Lake and the first night that's talked about, it's always talked about with kids. Every time. Yeah. That's the first topic they hit. And so, and every boys group, every men's group, every, you know, it's always being talked about now. And so I think that the tide is shifting. I don't think all the communication is always healthy. So that's why I'm really kind of thankful for the the work that you two are doing to create understanding that I don't think that's always the case, but I think at least the subject is being broached. Um, I just places like pure desire and conquer series and the pillars and the women's group I, the, these are taking it to a new level of yeah. health yeah that i think is really powerful yeah yeah couldn't agree more and and i think it's important just kind of my my last thought as we wrap is that i think for there there's a, a message that's important for those who those who don't struggle especially those who have a loved one who does and then also for those who do that 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 number one for those who don't to recognize it is it is easiest to judge most harshly sins that we don't struggle with. Mm. Right? Oh, right. Yeah. So sure. it is so easy to go, Oh, that's growth. How could you, da, 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 if it's, if it's not something you, that, that you struggle with. And I, and I do the same thing. I, I admit it. I'm conscious of it and I have to be aware of that. Right. Uh, and as it pertains to different, different issues that yes. are not mine. Right. Right. So, so to recognize, no, no, we need to have empathy for one another. Not that, that even if this is not your issue and you're, Yep. Bothered by it. That empathy is the first step. Each one of us is struggling and we need to have empathy. And then for those that, that are to recognize uh, there is a way out of shame. And and man, I think that's such a powerful uh, resource our faith gives us in so many ways. Uh, not just for, for issues of sexual wholeness, but all over the place. That there's a way out of shame and the church certainly does not need a place need to be a place where you feel shame. So and I think and you guys have seen when people realize that powerful stuff happens. Yes. So, um, thank you to the two of you both for coming on, for sharing your story, yeah. <clears throat> for your courage, for your leadership, for the way that you are. I mean, to look at what God has done with your faithfulness in, in being willing to share your story, being willing to take your story and to, to use it to bring healing to others. It's inspiring. It's powerful. So thank you to the two of you for being part of the episode today. We sure appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lance, as always, for being a part of it as well. Thank you to all of you for listening. Really appreciate you being a part of this. Wanted to remind you one last time, ladies, uh, B&B at BridgewayChristian.org. Gentlemen, pure desire at BridgewayChristian.org. There are resources here for you, and uh, we'd love to come alongside you and, and be of help to you if that would be of benefit to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks for another episode of Engaging Culture. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.